From Ruckus, this is Art of Gravity, a podcast on building new art worlds in the American South and Midwest and how we might do that together. Hi there, welcome back to Art of Gravity. At the top, you just heard the voice of Anna Blake, a contributor for Ruckus and a guest on today's episode, who also will be joined by Joey Yates of KMAC Museum in Louisville and artist Jordan Nasser, whose work is currently on exhibition at KMAC in a solo show titled The Field is Infinite. It will become clear to you right away that I was a huge fan of this show when I saw it last month and was very grateful to this group who hopped on a call to chat with me about it. It provided a lot of interesting nuance and context that might have gone over my head when I first went to see it, not that there wasn't plenty for me to enjoy as it was. In lieu of summarizing it anymore, I'll let the conversation speak for itself and get right into it. I'll catch you at the end of the show. If everybody wants to like introduce themselves, give their name, pronouns, what you do, and maybe where you're calling in from to start with, but you can add anything else you feel like is important to, to know about you. Who do you um, want to go first? Oh, Anna? Okay. No, Joey, go. <laughs> uh, Joey Yates, uh, he, him, pronouns, um, curator and curatorial director here at KMAC. I've been here for eight years. Uh, that's it for now, unless you want me to add more. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, hi, uh, Anna Blake. Uh, she, her pronouns. I'm an independent art critic, guest contributor for Ruckus. Um, I live here in Louisville, Kentucky. Great, great. Well, nice and Jordan, yourself? Everyone. Yeah, Jordan, he, him. Uh, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm, I'm rolling my chair over my computer wire right now and trying not to knock it off the table. Hi, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, let's, I guess we can get into it. Um, I called everybody today because I was really excited to talk about Jordan's exhibition, The Field is Infinite, that's up at KMAC Museum in Louisville right now. And I was lucky to see the show in December when I was passing through Louisville, and I found it just spectacular. And I don't know, I would say that I've been haunted by it, maybe, in the best possible way. So before anything else, I just want to say like a big congratulations to you, Jordan. It's such a fantastic show. I mean, thank you. That's amazing. I, I <laughs> like to hear, I mean, I don't know, to hear that description is, or of your experience is pretty nice to hear. So thank you. <laughs> I will, I just say really quickly that it just feels so like, remo- like I forget that it exists because I have not sure. been here physically. So it's like, it, it doesn't even feel like it's really happening. Like it does, but it does, you know, like I know it's happening and that obviously Joey and I, Especially Joey worked like crazy to make it actually happen, but uh, then it's like if I'm not looking at a picture of it, it's like it never happened because I didn't like experience it. So it's like, yeah, it's been kind of surreal to have that, you know, have it be during COVID and like not be able to actually even see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I'm still, I'm still like hoping that I can make it before it closes, but we shall see. Yeah. Well, at any rate, like, I hope that, yeah, maybe this conversation will put a dent in that feeling. And it, uh, yeah, it, it was just terrific. And there's a lot happening in these. I keep, I keep trying to call them exhibitions. I know it's like an exhibition, but yeah, it's like, I want I want to give listeners at home who maybe haven't had a chance to see it yet, like a good setup for, for what we're talking about. Um, essentially like the entire second floor of the museum is 
um, a big uh, Jordan extravaganza and it's split into these two sections, right? And so each have their own sort of conceptual framing and the act of like splitting them itself is a kind of framing tool. And we'll get into that. But for right now, I hope I'm recalling and describing at least that much appropriately. Um, Joey, maybe since you're at the museum most often, do you want to like walk the listeners through what they might find when they visit KMAC to see, to see the show? Uh, sure. Um, so, I mean, the way Jordan and, and I uh, both, you know, talked about laying out the show when you arrive um, at the top of the stairs, or if you get off the elevator, you are first confronted with um, a domestic environment and apartment. In this case, a one-bedroom apartment. Um, I think when uh, Jordan first did the show in, in Tel Aviv, it was a studio apartment. Um, but given our space, it became a sort of one-bedroom apartment. There is a living room and a kitchen and then a bedroom. Um, and we will talk more about the items, but, you know, there are items that uh, Jordan has, um, you know, commissioned in some form or another uh, to form this apartment. And then you uh, walk through a set of gates into Jordan's uh, own personal artistic output of embroideries and a kind of menagerie of embroideries and beaded glass um, um, and they're, they comprise of landscapes that is the imagery um, and very um, traditional but mesmerizing patterns uh, from traditional Palestinian embroidery. That's great. Yeah, sure. that, that's a great, that's a great um, overview. Thank you, Joey. Um, Jordan, the reconstructions of the apartment are, or, you know, like the, the, the one bedroom apartment that Joey was just talking about is it's packed with these beautiful handcrafted objects and things that feel absolutely impossible to skip over. Um, you know, you're kind of arrested by them, slowed down by them. And I, I, everything, things that caught my eye were everything from the tile backsplash and the, the kitchenette uh, to the kitchen table itself, the rugs, the clothing, no, no matter what thing I was stopped at, um, everything just felt really real and honest and grounded. And I'm, I'm wondering how that lands for you, or maybe how you might characterize the role of the crafted object, so to speak, in your work, or both broadly the role of the crafted object, but also the role of Palestinian craft in your work, if any of that makes sense. Right. Um, well, I think, you know, for me, I started doing embroidery as like the first type of artwork I ever made um, almost a decade ago. And for me, it was that like as a person before I was an artist, let's say, or before I was making artwork, I was always just into kind of crafty things. When I was really little, it was origami. And then as I got older, I was getting into like uh, like crochet and weaving and like just doing stuff like that for fun. Um, so then when I started to think about making artwork and looking for like, I don't know, inspiration or thinking about what I wanted to make, like the mix of that inclination towards handcrafts and then, you know, personally, like with my family and stuff, thinking a lot about my Palestinian heritage and like how I relate to that and how I connect with that and how I don't and like wanting to connect with it more and so on and so forth. Um, this particular type of embroidery was something that was like, we had a lot of pillows and stuff like that in our house, which many or most, if not all Palestinians around the world do. Um, 
And so, yeah, it kind of jumped out at me as like almost an obvious choice for uh, like a medium because as I said before, like just executing the handcrafts was something that I'd love to do since I was young. Um, and, but, and, you know, even beyond the embroidery, I'm just like that person that if there's like, if, like I walk by a rug or like a basket, like I just want to inspect it. And that's kind of like, the vibe for why like like the way that this apartment happened is kind of like i'm real i just like i love handcrafts <laughs> you know all of them like whether it's ceramic or pottery all the way you know to very fine like embroidery and like whatever glass work like literally you name it and um so it kind of was very, like it's, it's the kind of thing where like if i see anyone doing any type of craft i'm like i want to learn how to do that you know what I mean? Like, no matter what it is. And even if it's, like, a ridiculous thing to want to learn how to do. Given that element of my personality and my interests, when I, when it became, like, when I got invited to do a show at the CCA in Tel Aviv, I pretty, like, from the, from the get-go, I was like, I don't know what I want to do as, like, for an exhibition in Israel, because it's, like, like, First of all, the museum is a very experimental, kind of young, kind of more like a PS1 type space. And the director like wants the museum to be like experimental in a, in a way where it's like, he wants to create a space that artists can do things that they never thought they would attempt. Uh, and it's an open space and you know, you can, you can explore and you don't have to like, um, he essentially told me he did not want a gallery show. <laughs> like he didn't want like a, you know, paintings on the wall type exhibition. Um, and you know, that combined with the fact that it was my first show in Palestine, Israel. Um, and the fact that my work before then, you know, it, it had been exhibited in mostly America. And so there's a different kind of angle that we approach the work at in terms of talking about it. Um, where it's about educating people about Palestine. It's about sharing this Palestinian traditional craft and people learning about that as well. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, showing this work in Israel would be like people know about <laughs> Palestinian crafts, but they also know about the Palestine-Israel situation, which is, you know, in, when I show my work in America, what we talk about a lot of the time, which is partially like why I want, like, Part of part of my mission is to kind of advocate for Palestine and like educate people and, and talk about Palestine and Israel, um, which, you know, consider like, like like when setting out to do a show in Israel, I realized very early on that like that is not appropriate for me to be doing there because I'm the outsider when it comes to there. Like I'm the one who mm. in a lot of ways you know, has less experience there than the people that would be seeing the show. And therefore, like I wouldn't want to do my usual talking points and stuff. So. You know, in, in, in doing all, it, it, going through that process, I realized like, well, I was kind of asking myself, like, what is the thing that would be interesting for Israelis and Palestinians to hear about from me that they don't maybe know about? And I thought about like, kind of focusing on the diaspora experience and these feelings of, you know, yearning for this homeland that you're raised hearing stories about and you're kind of raised imagining and, um, you know, in, in the Jewish diaspora uh, and in Judaism in general, 
returning to this land, like the promised land, but like this specific place is kind of central. And then within the Palestinian diaspora, returning is also like so central. And so in both cultures around the world in the diaspora, returning to this specific land is a central like tenant, right? And so I thought very simply to like, make this show like I'm returning to Israel, Palestine, and this is my apartment simply um, as like the basic kind of premise of the exhibition. And then, you know, the next step being what kind of apartment do I want to make, right? Like if it was my father, for example, the apartment would be like a totally um, Palestine like a shrine to Palestine, you know, and 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 in that sense, I mean it in like Palestine as it exists in his mind, as he's imagined it as a member of the diaspora, and um and I think for a lot of like Jews around the world, uh, you know, a, a home in Israel would also signify a different set of things. Whereas I was interested in kind of asking like, well, what is it in 2019? What is this place that I'm returning to? like that we both that both sides are constantly talking about returning to right and so i kind of thought that it was prudent and interesting to approach that as like um you know examining who is actually in israel and palestine in 2019 um because it's unlike most places around the world israel is very similar to america in a way which is that the majority of the population are immigrants from other places. Um, and so it's a melting pot, the way that America is a melting pot. Like you, I mean, in Israel, it's mostly Jews from all over the world, but they are from all over the world. There's the Europeans and that and Middle Eastern and everywhere, et cetera. And, um, and so I think that, um, and that combined with like the, the native population, the, the indigenous population, um, Plus, like other, there are other populations there that you don't even think about, like Bedouins or like uh, Druze or like so on and so forth. So like it's it's like there's a, there's a lot more going on there than like either Jews as some people imagines it or Palestinians as other people imagine it. And so I was like, let's look at who is there and what this place actually is in reality through looking at what crafts are being like practiced there right now because when people come you know when the when the ethiopian jews from uh came came in large waves in the 90s i was i think it's the 90s uh they didn't just show up and become israeli they also brought their traditions from ethiopia so like you see this like a certain type of embroidery you see a certain type of basket weaving um that came from Ethiopia with them. And when Russians came, they brought like this type of glass flame working that, you know, and, and other things like lace and this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, so all those things show up in modern day Israel, Palestine. And so I kind of set out to be as inclusive as possible with the crafts that we're going to make up this apartment where my only stipulation was that these objects were, um, made in some sort of traditional manner and were made between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. That's it. So like that includes kibbutzes and stuff. And that also includes like 
like just straight up Palestinian villages um, and kind of spans both sides. I try and I don't like that term, but you know, both sides of the situation, um, all areas of historical Palestine, let's say. So those things like, you know, you're aware of them, but it's like a, a kind of exercise of going one step further into all of these, um, these, these craft like media and techniques and, and, visiting workshops and learning a little bit of how they work so that I could kind of make something in collaboration with the artisan actually doing the making. Um, but yeah, so it became this, I mean, part for me, the show became, it was really about the experience of making the show uh, in the end, like, like looking back, like the, the, maybe my favorite thing about the show was the year it took to make it where I was just like basically road tripping around Israel and Palestine. Um, like I got, I went four or five times in the year for like trips of between two weeks and a month at a time. Um, and, and, you know, had some things on a list that I wanted to go visit in terms of different types of craft people, but other times would just happen upon workshops or, through word of mouth, like telling someone about my project, end up being introduced to someone doing something, you know, so there, it was like, there was this whole kind of adventure um, that led to the show becoming like what it was. Uh, and, um, and, but really, I mean, I guess, going back to what you said before, like, comes down to the fact that like, the way that you kind of described wanting to slow down like you know and look at every item like that's how I that's that that would like the show exists because that's how I am with these crafts where I like want to know how they work and I want to know how they make it and I want to like inspect it and like uh just appreciate the 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 craft thank you so much for that description uh, you uh, part of me is worried we're not going to improve on that. Actually, that was <laughs> really terrific. So yeah, so what I'm hearing is, you know, like the the specific assemblage of the crafts in the show, you know, are are for you this analog of what Palestine is currently, like for you, you know, uh, in this year or in these years, um, and in in the objects are this like tangible connection to that. Um, I want to zoom in maybe more on like an emotional affect that I get from you being the one, I guess, like pulling these things and trying to cobble these things together, you know, on the, on the first half of the floor, there are these really beautiful fake windows that show these pastoral nature vistas. And in front of them are these also very beautiful forged iron bars, which are arranged in space so that you could like pass an arm through them maybe uh, and try and like reach out of that space to like whatever that image is, but not realistically like get your body through them. And, and that like sensation, and that's just like one example of what I'm about to say, but like that sensation of reaching feels really palpable throughout the entire show. Um, and I'm wondering how that description feels for you that the field is infinite as a whole gesture is this act of reaching for something that is in view, like visible perhaps, but also impossible to like grab in another way. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, Yes. <laughs> I I think that, you know, something that people have mentioned to me 
or I've heard commented on over over the years is that the landscapes that I embroider feel very far away and like is that on purpose <laughs> that like I'm trying to reference this distance you feel far away from this place that you're like yearning for and like that you know um which I can't say that I necessarily was like I like in a conscious way being like I'm gonna make these landscapes far away so that it imbues <laughs> it with the feeling of distance do you know what I mean it wasn't that but like I love that poetic kind of perception of it um and in that same way I think that I mean, I don't know, with the apartment, I mean, the thing about the apartment and the thing about the show at KMAC is that it feels like the show is half and half, right? It feels like the show is half the apartment and half like, you know, an exhibition of embroidered and glass works. But in my head, in a different way, the apartment is just another piece in the show. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it's an installation as a piece. It's not like... I know that obviously since it, it's, it's, it is a big production and it takes up a lot of space, so it feels like more monumental than like any single one of the other works in a sense. But um, they, it really is in my mind at least like a, just another approach, like a, like a different lens to look at or to talk about similar things that I'm always talking about in a sense. Um, and I think that there's, I mean, there's a few like subtle things going on with the apartment that I feel like I don't know really as a viewer how they come out. Um, I think that uh, an Israeli-Palestinian audience, there are certain things that they would receive that maybe an American audience wouldn't. For example, um, all of the things in the show are custom made for the show, right? And um, when I was going through the process of making or, you know, kind of designing or guiding the making of each item, my goal was to kind of get it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. kind of instead of have them make something completely traditional that they would be making, I wanted them to make something almost traditional but that like because of me saying make it in this color or make it in this shape uh it kind of made it not traditional or made it something off about it you know in a way and that was kind of on purpose because for two reasons one i wanted it to be obvious that these things were custom made and i didn't just go to a market and like furnish an apartment from an antique market but then the other thing is because I wanted to also kind of try to comment on the fact that I am an outsider and that, you know, in spite of my Jewish and Palestinian roots, like I'm a, I'm an outsider when I'm there. Like I'm really an alien, like no matter where I am, whether in Israel or Palestine or whatever, like for different reasons, I stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and so I kind of wanted to represent that by like having all these traditionally made things, but they're all just a little wrong and you might not notice it at first glance just like at some glances people might assume I'm Israeli or whatever but like then upon further inspection realize like wait like this is a little bit not like they usually make it you know um which as I said like for an Israeli and Palestinian audience they might see 
the the carpet weaving or the ceramic painting and say like wow I've never seen one like this and that's because like that's not exactly how they do it I may I would ask them to like do something different um like whether it be like the table and chairs for example did you notice in the bedroom there's like that little kind of almost like sitting nook where it's like two little stools and a table mm-hmm. um yeah. that was uh is like a cane furniture maker in Bethlehem who made that for me and he usually makes like square tables or round tables and so I asked him to make a half square half round table and then a square stool and a round stool to go with it which is just like all things that technically he does but wouldn't ever like combine like that and the table itself usually would just be a square or a circle like he wouldn't usually do this Mm. weird half and half shape and so in that sense but I didn't direct him on like what weaving pattern of the caning to do or anything like that like I left as much of it up to the people as possible because I wanted it to be I wanted it to rely on their traditions and their standards and the aesthetic the usual aesthetics of their craft of what they do right so I didn't want to direct every last thing I just tried to like more like throw one curveball at them and then see what they did with it you know yeah and in doing that you're you're sort of you're yeah you're I guess like reinforcing your own position like on the maybe on the periphery of 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 like these languages the like material languages and then at the same time it creates this like fabulation i i guess well it's it's for me it's, it's kind of, i kind of think of it i kind of think of it as like i'm tainting it with an outsider's mm-hmm. and and that you know i it also brings in topics of orientalism and like exoticism where it's like i think about that a lot as like someone who's half arab where it's like i like like the notion of like myself being guilty of like orientalism which is totally possible obviously um while at the same time being arab like and how kind of conflicting that is um where it's like i love arab culture and i was raised around arab culture but maybe like sometimes cross a line into like exoticizing it rather mm-hmm. than being part of it do you know what I mean um and so all of that was on purpose I wanted to do that I wanted to like you know if 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 he makes a certain type of furniture or let's say like the 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 kind of triangular carved mirror that's from Gaza like they make mirrors similar to that but I asked them to like I I kind of created that shape by merging other mirrors I had seen that they had made, but also asked them to like really embellish it with all the carvings, which to me is like, it's like they might do like some subtle embellishments, but in my mind, it should be like super ornamental, you know? And that I think is like a little hint of this like exotification or like Orientalism. Um, that I wanted to also like incorporate into the making of these things. There's like this this line of like yearning for this culture that you're a part of, but then also like you you kind of token not tokenize it, but you like you you like 
it's like you play into the stereotypes of it and like embrace that as your culture. And I think that I also, you know, I've been talking about this a little bit more lately, but realizing that like my interest in craft, as I mentioned before, my interest in craft is a lot to do with just the fact that I liked doing them as a kid and like I'm interested in like how, even like literally like making friendship bracelets, like you name it, like if it's with your hands and it's like intricate, I'm like into it, you know? Um, so there is that element of it, but I think the other part of it for me is like, um, and I, this is what I've been talking about a lot lately is that there's this kind of like when you're part of a diaspora community, the easiest things to export are material objects, right? Mm -hmm. Like trinkets. And that includes like food and music as well. But it's kind of like food, music, and objects like crafts are the things that are easy to bring with you or to do in a new place. Um, and but so for someone like me who's a second generation, um, where it, my father was born in New York to immigrant parents, um, that becomes like that becomes everything. Like, I don't know what it's like to live in Palestine. I don't know what it's like to like be from Palestine or Israel, but I like for me, the culture, but for me, what it is to be Palestine, it, uh, to be Palestinian is to eat these things and listen to this music and have these craft items in your house. Like it becomes about the material. Um, and if and I think that you know a lot of us experience that where it's like our understanding of our culture is actually kind of superficial because we don't have access to the full experience of being from that culture. You know, I don't know about different seasonal foods or you know that they eat in Palestine or I mean I know about more of this now because I've spent a lot of time there as an adult, but you know, it's only recently I've learned about like um how it's a you know a big cultural thing to eat like babe, like like young almonds that when they're still green and fuzzy like off the tree in that season of the year because that's something that is like has to do with seasons in a place that I'm not I'm not there so it's like we never as an American Palestinian we never participated in like those celebrations of that season because like. Yeah. we're in a, we're in America you know what I mean so it's like that where it's like you're not living the full culture you're just experiencing the material exportable objects and mm -hmm. and trying to and you kind of pretend that that's that is the culture because that's all you can access you know we'll be right back after a quick break
first of all, I was very happy to hear because I did not know this, obviously, as a white person uh, in Kentucky. There, I did not know that there were parts of the um, installation that were maybe a little bit off or a little bit wrong. Um, and so I really enjoyed hearing that. And I actually found it a little bit humorous. Like, it almost feels like, Jordan, that you are almost playing a prank on white audiences um, because we are looking at these and get, you know, the only context that we have is, oh, these are all made by artisans in Israel, Palestine. These are traditional crafts and you're, and it's playing right into our Orientalist mindset of, uh, right, of like tradition and purity and tradition. Um, all, all the while, we have no idea that there are aspects of it that are just a little bit wrong. Um, and I really enjoy that. I'm That's really- funny. You know, I didn't, sorry to cut you off, but I didn't even think about that. But this is part of the experience of showing it in America. Because as I said before, like when we showed in Palestine and Israel, there's a certain amount, like a lot of people come in and they're like, oh, I have a bowl like that. Oh, I have a, I have a lamp like that. Oh, I have a rug like that. Like that, because this is stuff that they have around. Mm-hmm. you know the market's there and the store's there it's normal stuff and so you know and the effect that I was going for for an Israeli-Palestinian audience was that was that they feel at home that it's they realize that they because for me in my mind for them it was like oh I have a basket like that I got at the market but not realizing that first of all that basket was made by an Ethiopian but second that that Ethiopian is actually an Israeli now you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like that was kind of more my goal with that. But it's interesting. So so I was I was curious at what the effect would be of showing this outside of the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is very like funny to hear <laughs> your take, which totally makes sense. And like I should have thought of that, that people are gonna think like, oh, this is like a traditional home. Yeah. Like like a period room like at the Met, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, which in you know, it mostly is, honestly, like the combination of those for me, it's like the combination of those materials, right? Mm-hmm. The Bedouin rug with the Armenian ceramics, with the glass from Hebron, with the embroidery, with like all of those in one space to me feels like Palestine and Israel. Like mm. it's so it really does still accomplish that. So there is something to be said for that. It's not a total joke. Right. But but I now that you say that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. People are just going to think, like, this is how it is. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I apologize. I didn't mean to make it uh, come no, off. No, 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 no. It's good. No, no, no. No need to apologize at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but the other thing that I just want to mention. So I saw this for the first time last week. So it's still very fresh in my mind. Um but something that really struck me about the apartment installation um, was how it seemed very deliberate um, to the point that it felt I, I it felt real and unreal at the same time. Um, in you know, in that I I recognized that this was a domestic space, but in reality, I I don't know many people who match their glassware to their pillows. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it it felt it felt both real but almost um I don't know if this is maybe the right term but almost hyper real. Um almost like like I I 
I knew that it was imagined. It was very obvious that it was imagined. And right. I think that's very important. That, I mean, that, like, I'm very happy to hear you say that because that was the point of controlling the color palette was mm -hmm. to make it obvious that this was intentional. Right. And as I said before, not like just, I went to the market and turned this room into an apartment. You know what I mean? So like, and, 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 and I think that there was also something to be said for like the color being a little bit, um, I don't want to say psychedelic, but like kind of trippy that it's like all one color. Like it, it feels like, uh, it feels fantastical in a way that, you know, uh, the colors in my landscapes are often described as like fantastical in, in, in a similar effect where it's like using color to make, to make it clear that we're talking about an element of like make-believe or imagination mm -hmm. and fantasy. Um, and then the other thing is that, uh, that, you know, this was something that I thought a lot about when staging it. So, so all this painstaking work went into making these beautiful ceramic plates and bowls and all this stuff for the kitchen but then it's like, I'm not going to, I decided like, I'm not going to set the table with these plates so that you can like inspect every plate. It's like the plates are up on the shelf because that's where you keep the plates in your house until you're eating dinner. Like, and so it's like a lot of the details you can't even really see mm -hmm. going to see the exhibition because I wanted it to be like, you went into my apartment when I'm not there. Yeah. Like it's not, I'm not staging this like, so that you can inspect all the items and all the details and really appreciate them. It's like, it's more, it was more, I, and I thought about this so much for the, for the original show where I was like, I want it to be theatrical, but I don't want it to be like a plate and a, and silverware as though I was just eating and I got up from the table. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's not like that theatrical, but then at the same time, there is a like stage dressing kind of mentality to how I approach. Like I wanted it to look realistic as much as I could. Right. Like you don't display all your belongings. You just kind of put them on the shelf. Like, and if some of them are blocking other ones, then that's, the way it goes you know mm -hmm. you're not worried about like every item being visible in your house at all times you know um and no so yeah again it's it's, it's interesting to hear uh the impressions on someone with no context which is, you know it's very it's very valuable for me to hear that i'm very interested in hearing um how those things struck you and i'm glad to hear yeah of course yeah it feels like it's very subversive of cynicism um it this mad this imagined reality uh, is is almost radical in a way because it's it makes a utopian future tangible in a way that cynicism does not. Um, that's something that I really appreciated about it. Let me let me let me chew on that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe in the meantime, I, I might shift uh, that. I don't know. That kind of feels like a good segue to the embroidery pieces specifically. So like the back half of the show. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's something in what you just said, Anna, for in those for me, um, you know, to make a long story short, I'm absolutely obsessed with that body of work. They're super colorful and the color choices are very exact. Um, it's very like yummy and vibrating, like almost electric. Um, up close to like soft and textural and intricately assembled you get that even if you're not like super familiar with the technique and or or the sort of um 
tradition implications. And from far away, they obviously create these vignettes of overlapping landscape scenes. That's not anything that you all would know, but for people at home and in a weird, and it does so in this like weird low polygon video game sort of way, or at least like that's what I see in them because like I'm a nerd and an idiot, but you know, without, and without them needing to move at all, like I, I, they like feel like they're animating slightly out of the corner of my eye. And I hear like the crunchy music of a Game Boy or something during a <laughs> sentimental or serious romantic part. I don't know. Joey, why don't you take this description away from me, actually? <laughs> uh, do you want to tell me do you want to tell me more about like what attracts you to that body of work as a curator? Because we were talking earlier about how like the apartment is like its own sort of piece. It's like a holistic installation. And then in the back, there's like um many individual works. And so uh, yeah, do you want to tell me more about like what that feels like for you as a curator what attracts you to those and then then we can circle back to jordan about more about like the embroidery specifically and like kind of the layered implications of that technique yeah sure i mean i think but, but i think we are onto something with uh 8-bit you know technology um they embroidery's been considered or compared to you know pixelation for a while now and so i think there's a great comparison there uh, for a contemporary audience or a young audience who looks at embroidery as kind of a, you know, ultra traditional craft that has not a whole lot of relevance in our era of sort of new media, uh, when in fact, uh, that's how things even digitally can be seen as being stitched together, you know, made of these very, 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 very small dots. Uh, so I, I think that's a, I think that's a great, um, comparison. But in, the, in, in, in fact, you know, I had done embroidery, something I've been thinking about in those terms for a long time. And so uh, for many reasons for our institutions, Jordan's work is, is um, interesting to me. Um, but I think anytime somebody like Jordan can take everything we've just heard him sort of illuminate about, about craft into a very singular personal artistic practice, that's something I think with our institution being an art and craft museum, I'm always looking for. So, I mean, just on the surface, that that was what attracted to me to his work the most. Um, but then that he's just so capable of these variations. I mean, time and time again, you know, you think, oh, there's that pattern. I think I've seen that pattern again, but there's different colors and it's a different landscape. I mean, he's just found a kind of infinite space in which to explore both the tradition and his own imagination um, about this place uh, that he visits in his dreams uh, and, and in some and in some cases um, physically when he visits there but it's still a place within his imagination uh, that he's able to execute um, in this in this very sort of you know old craft um, that just regenerative process is something you know I'm always excited to see. Um, so quickly, you know, that's what drew it to what drew me to him and the work and wanting to you know find a way to bring it to the museum. Jordan, tell me a little bit more about the technique itself, um, like the the specific kind of embroidery that generates those works. In my cursory right. understanding, obviously, it's a Palestinian tradition of decorating objects and clothes. Right. That, ultimately becomes this kind of lens or filter that the images of landscapes or maybe as Joey was just saying, like 
kind of dreams or um, kind of like uh, uh, memories maybe end up passing through that lens and they become geometrically abstracted and uh, I don't know, uh, create these different kind of effects. And so I don't know, just curious about your relationship, like both what it is and what your relationship to like that kind of embroidery is. Um, well, okay. So the embroidery itself originates on clothing um, and it is, you know, traditionally done by women on their own clothing um, and maybe clothing for their own community as well. So like a girl in your, you know, your, your family or whatever. Um, and originally um, this type of embroidery was very socially, um, it was used for information in a sense. So like, a woman would embroider her own dress and, you know, there's the usual social cues about that where, like, if you have more um, lavish embroidery, it means that you're wealthier, usually in this case because that means you have time to, like, sit and embroider something lavishly rather than have to work or, you know, harvest or whatever it is people were doing at the time. Um and so there is always those social elements, um, but there's also identity, uh, a lot of information about identity in these, in these dresses because different villages would have different symbols that they would use. Um, some symbols show up in a lot of villages. So on one dress, you might have some symbols that could be from multiple places, but then you usually have like telltale symbols of like, which specific village this woman was from or whatever. Um, and there were little codes with the colors where like, you know, if you're widowed or if you're unmarried, you'll do blue on black. And then, it, and then once you get married, you add red elements to that and like stuff like that. So, you know, this, this type of embroidery was like a part of the culture in a, in a, in an actually like functional way. Plus just being decorative and beautiful, you know? Um, and it's mostly cross-stitch embroidery, which shows up all over the world. But um, there are a few other techniques that I mentioned before. One of them is tahriri, which means couching. It's like couching embroidery, they call it. Um, which is using, you like, basically, they do it a lot with metallic threads, but basically you lay thread down on the face of the of the fabric and then you use little stitches of a different thread to hold it down so you get like a lot of like swirls and like loop-de-loop -loop type motifs and that's very popular that's a traditional bethlehem form and then there's a few other stitches that they do use sometimes there's another one called menagel stitch which is like it technically it means sickle like a sickle like a like to harvest um but is used for um, it's used for like joining pieces of fabric. So when you're putting a dress like together, uh, and it's used for like sometimes it's used for borders or different, you know. And sometimes it is also used within kind of like blocks of embroidery. But um, those are basically the three things you'll see. And then the fourth one is uh, they do applique of uh, damask like silk. Um, so those are like what you'll see on dresses. And then I guess if you wanted to add a fifth one, it would be the special type of fabric that they wove 
um, that used to be woven in a town called Majdal, which is was um, the inhabitants were expelled in 1948 um, in the Nakba and is now the Israeli city of Ashkelon. And this type of weaving from Majdal was almost lost, but is still practiced by a couple of nonprofits in Gaza. And so, like in my exhibition, the couches in the in the apartment are custom woven this fabric, uh, Majdal fabric, Majdalawi fabric. So it's very special to me that this fab that these couches had this fabric. Um, but so you'll see in Palestinian dresses, you'll see that base fabric sometimes used. It's a striped fabric, and so they'll use the stripes in a particular way for the design of the dress. And then the three kinds of embroidery plus sometimes silk applique. Um, so that's kind of like my bank of like methods I'm, <laughs> I can use within my work. So I, I primarily use the cross stitch and I, you know, one thing that's happened, especially since the Nakba and um, Israel being founded and Palestinians basically being expelled uh, from their villages, uh, it means that village specific traditions like these specific patterns one village would use in a different one kind of all got scrambled right and not really practiced anymore so palestinian embroidery over the past 70 years has become kind of diluted into like generic palestinian symbols rather than a lot of the knowledge is lost or being lost because it's not being practiced as literally anymore um so people know less like casual people know less about specific symbols and where they come from. They just all, it's kind of all becoming like general Palestinian embroidery. Um, and I've done projects like when I did my residency in Jaffa, I, during that residency program of two months, set out to only make works using Jaffa patterns. So like I've done stuff like that where I've kind of tried to focus on that history, but in reality, I'm also concerned with um, the functionality of the patterns for my purposes. And I really need patterns that are dense and are very even, right? So you don't want to have a lot of like empty spaces within different, I don't know, flowers or whatever, because if I'm going to be kind of drawing a mountain using the colors, I need it to be very evenly spaced patterning and very dense patterning so that when I draw these lines of color, it like reads as like a smooth line, you know? Um, and that kind of gets into the functionality in terms of like what you guys were talking about, about video games, but really I see it more as like pixels essentially. So the patterns that I choose provide me with pixels, so to speak, that I can then activate as specific color, like whatever, like I choose the color, but the patterns are dictating like where I get to put a color at all, you know? Um, and so the process has to do with pattern selection. And the first stage of making a work is designing the patterning. So there's a whole creative process that has nothing to do with color and form that just has to do with patterning and like the kind of systems of patterning and some pieces I do more um, 
varied patterning where I have a few different patterns on one piece. Other pieces, I'll fill the whole field with just one pattern, like one symbol, um, like repeating. Um, and so I definitely, there's definitely like a, my own style of patterning and a contemporary way of using these patterns that you wouldn't see like on the dress. Um, like for example, a lot of my pieces are like actually like border motifs, but if I just repeat them across a whole pad, a whole canvas, it becomes a, a fill motif, but you wouldn't usually on a dress, you'll see that pattern as like just a strip down an arm or something, you know? Mm. Um, so there's definitely that, so that there's that end of the process. And then once that's done, I like literally print out my pattern, like I'm gonna follow it as I'm embroidering. Um, and at that point it's in black and white. And then that's when I, I literally sketch with pencils on top of it. Um, and that's when I create my composition. Um, and usually I have a specific something in mind, you know, like usually I've had some image in my head of like a yellow thing here and a blue thing there. And then so I'll kind of sketch that out and maybe add some stuff or maybe it kind of develops a little bit more. And then I kind of choose my colors and just start in one corner and start embroidering. Um, but, and so those are, that's like the process for when I make a piece that is not collaborative with the Palestinian. Um, the ones that are collaborative with the Palestinian women, uh, basically the first part of the process is the same. Like I do it on the computer and I, and I lay out the patterns and that also will dictate like how big the piece ends up being. Like I control all that with like when I'm designing the pattern. Um, and then with the collaborative pieces, you'll notice that they look, you can recognize that it's collaborative because they have kind of traditional looking patterning and then in a, an inset little landscape, like either a rectangle or squarish form of like a little picture in picture kind of thing. And that's how you can tell that a piece is collaborative. And basically, so I lay out the pattern with for the women and then I whatever area I plan on embroidering later, I will like highlight and delete from their file so that they don't even see those stitches. And then I sent like, so then they get the pattern and it's up to them to choose the colors. Sometimes I'll give some direction for the colors, but at the end of the day, even if I say do like blue and green, they choose which blue and which green. And then, um, and the most important thing for me, similar to how I made the, the, the objects for the apartment, is that I leave it up to them where to put what color on their part of the, of the embroidery. So sometimes they do big blocks of color. Sometimes they do insanely intricate like alter, alternations of colors. Like it's kind of up to whatever the woman is feeling and what she's, when she looks at that pattern, like what she imagines. And so then when I get it back, it's like totally a surprise. And then based on the colors that she chose and based on what she's done, I set out to like fill in the, the part that's empty still, um, where I, I finish out the pattern so that it matches up with hers and becomes one continuous pattern. But obviously it's interrupted with like, the colors are interrupted and I put in like a landscape. 
Um, and so that process is definitely, it's kind of like, it's weird because it's, it's collaborative, but it's also like a little bit different than what I would call collaboration because I am kind of commissioning it, but I'm, the way that I commission it forces the women in a sense to like make some aesthetic decisions so that when I get it back, I then have to react to those decisions. So, I mean, we call it collaborative, but it's a little bit, it's a collaborative with a twist. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And thanks for drawing that out because it, you know, you, I think like between the didactic text and like the objects themselves that you encounter in the exhibition, you, pick up on some of the like the fact that there is a layered relationship happening with that but it's really helpful to hear you actually like describe that um especially yeah specifically perhaps for an american like like me um i'm curious i'm sorry go ahead Anna. oh okay i'm sorry i i just wanted to uh discuss actually the glass pieces i think those are what um what struck me the most about that um like second half of the show um, and the way that they were displayed as a uh, sculpture in the round, um, maybe Joey, you can speak to this as well. Um, so you're able to see the front and the back and the back very much to me resembled an embroidery, um, but that's tangential. That's aside from the point. Um, but I was wondering if you could maybe discuss this duality of the front and the back, um, because I know that duality is, um, is an overarching theme of the show. If, um is specifically in those pieces that reference the gates if you could maybe discuss the significance of that for maybe an audience that has never been to jerusalem um well basically you know the 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 decision to leave the backs like totally exposed um was more about actually the craft element and embracing that this is how this is made and like letting people see that and appreciate that actually appreciate that like every single bead is like wrapped on with a wire mm-hmm. individually and like kind of letting it be this crazy kind of kind of wild loose end back side of it um so i mean that that was really it was like for me it was more about like embracing that craft side of it and not trying to hide the technique mm-hmm. um and um, and I really, yeah, and I, I really like, I, I, I like how they, I mean, and in a way, it's like, if you're far enough away, they look the same from the front and the back, in a sense, mm-hmm. you, like, they still have the same effect. And it's only upon approaching it closer, you can see, like, you know, when you look at it from the back, some of the bars that the beads are attached to, like, start to obscure the beads and stuff. So, like, you, you know, you want to look at it from the front, but, um, but they are kind of, you know, they, you can see through them um in that way and i you know i mean all the in a sense it's like all of those poetic extensions you know this those conceptual things that you can um see in that that's kind of like open to interpretation and i like that 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 some people will see things like that in it um but you know you don't want to be too controlling and try to dictate like what people see when they look at the work, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I will say that, I mean, also within relate in relationship to my, the actual embroideries is that when it comes down to the, so when I do the patterning process, I'm worrying about, obviously I want the patterns to be 
I don't know, like done the right way or whatever. But um, really, it's kind of like giving my like to give myself a blank canvas to then make a landscape on. I need to provide myself with patterning, right? Mm -hmm. So the patterning process is like, I'll do like a bunch of pieces in one sitting. Because like sitting and doing the computer work is not my favorite thing. So I'll like, you know, have a couple hours where I'm like making a bunch of patterns in a similar size and then print them out and then not do that patterning process for a few months while I'm embroidering those ones that I just laid out. Um, but the the process of sketching the landscape and then the choice of the colors and stuff is a really formal process. Like I'm really like any, at, at that point, I'm like any painter. Like I'm thinking of form and color and composition. Like that's it. Like I'm not thinking about mm, the homeland and nostalgia. I'm not thinking of whatever. I'm just thinking about like formal things, right? And I think that that's part of the, like Joey said, like kind of the infinite <laughs> amount of, like, you know, the, the infinite um, possibilities in the pairing of these, these patterns with the color work is exactly that. Like I can go, I can, I can make different landscape forms like forever, you know? And it's the landscapes for me, you know, we've added this conceptual element to it. But for me, I just like, I, I like it as a tool for like color work where it's a, it's a vehicle for working with color in like a formal way. Um, I personally just never really connected that much with uh, like pure abstraction. And so to have, what might be a mountain or a sun or something that's like gives the viewer or for me gives me um a sense of like i know what i'm looking at is disarming and then it allows me to appreciate like different color choices which i might be distracted by like what am i looking at like and not get to the point of like appreciating this color next to that color um so for me like that the landscape Fun like functions in a few, you know, there's a few reasons, some more functional than others of why I focus on landscape. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like a formal, you know, really all about working with color um, and that, and, you know, you'll see, I don't know, I have to, I, actually, I should look at the, the choices we made for the show, but basically there are some compositions that I've done multiple times that they're slightly different, which is another thing that you see painters do where it's like, you kind of just are keep attempting to get this composition right that you have in your head and all the variations, there are things that I like about it and things that I like want to do differently next time or something. So it's like, it's that kind of exercise of like trying to get this composition right that I think you, you see a lot of painters um, go through. Um, yeah, now I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joey, did you have something a minute ago that you wanted to ask? Well, no, I think I initially kind of was interested in going back to Anna's thought about utopia and cynicism, but we don't need to readdress that. I'm just curious. Where, do, I didn't want to leave that hanging because I think that is an interesting idea. But I did want to just also um, reiterate, you know, some of what I also find you know, endlessly um, 
informative uh, just from in an art context about what Jordan's doing is, you know, he is working in this, um, you know, within the a kind of cultural space that is contested. I mean, you know, he is also um, a great activist for both the the craft practices and the cultural heritage um, that's that's he's trying to uphold, but also that the result, both in the apartment and in the embroidery and the glass, it's it's really about building a kind of more sort of peaceful, if you will. I mean, not to get to, again, this is where we go back to some sort of utopian notion about what can be achieved at the end of all of this, but that the artwork does find beauty, commonality um, in in this space that is unfortunately not usually thought of in, in these more like harmonious terms and that finding harmony uh, in the work that gets produced is, is also something that with this specific practice, I just, I find um, rewarding, you know, every time I look at it because it, it, it forced me to think about um, the, the social and sort of political issues that go on in that part of the world a little differently because of the work. Uh, and so I'm really grateful for that too. And, 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 you know, I appreciate that just lesson and that information that I've gained from the work. Just wanted to kind of throw that, put that there. I mean, for me, I also just like maybe to end on a note of like, I mean, not that we have to end, but I'm just saying, uh, uh, like for me, you know, I want to share Palestinian like perspective or like share information about Palestine and bring up the conversation and like have these conversations about Palestine and Israel and all that kind of stuff. I also want to, you know, speak and share the perspective, not of a Palestinian, but of a Palestinian American member of the diaspora. And I kind of am trying to be careful about that, where like make it clear to people that like, I'm not speaking for Palestinians in the West Bank of Gaza because I'm not, I don't know their experience. I'm, I know my experience and what makes it difficult and what makes, what's painful about it and what's lovely about it and like whatever, you know, and I can only speak to that. So my goal, my goal with making artwork, like as an artist, though, is to make work that is universal and timeless, right? So these are my like fundamental goals as an artist, right? And what I mean by that is that, like, you know, obviously, like I'm Palestinian, my work is Palestinian crafts and work, you know, relates to Palestine. But what I'm trying to express with the work are human things, human experience, human emotions, um, things that are universal, not just to Palestinians, right? Um, and I, I'm, I, I, I kind of always repeat to myself, like, not, you know, and, and my work is like not very, like, I think it would be a challenge for me to make, a, make an embroidery that was very um, topical. Like if there was a specific event that happened in Palestine and I was gonna make a work like reacting to that, like, you know, it's not like I have text in my work or something very obvious, not collage where I can use photographs of stuff or like whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be difficult for me to make work that's topical. But even so, like I make it a point not to like I I, I, I want because, you know, in a sense, it's like works that are about specific moments become artifacts of that moment. They're not timeless. Right. And I and I think that and, and you know, the, the goal of being timeless is not about lasting forever it's about 
the con like the universality of like the human experience and sharing that and and receiving that when you look at an artwork you know what i mean like you want the work to be moving to someone who has nothing to do with anything i have to do with you know what i mean mm -hmm. but they have their own experiences and it, it could it can bring you know feelings up in them that it is applying to their own thing it's not specifically about palestine like sure the fact that i use palestinian embroidery is because i'm palestinian and like that's where i'm coming from but like that doesn't stop people who don't know about palestinian embroidery from enjoying my work do you know what i mean like that's so like in that sense it's like all these political things that are surrounding you know, because basically being Palestinian and speaking about Palestine is a political act in itself, especially for a lot of people. And so in a sense, there's like all this politics and all this kind of touchy stuff like swarming around this. But then when you and, 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 and I also like I talk about that stuff all the time. So like all of my interviews and whatever, it's always talking about Palestine, which is, you know, what I want to be talking about. But the work itself isn't really like talking about Palestine. I hope the work is just sharing a human emotion, experience, something that is amorphous, doesn't have specific words attached to it. You know what I mean? It's just, you're just feeling something from it. You know, like that's the goal with an artwork, which is different than being an artist, having a platform, having a way to have a voice and talk about important things to me. Like that's different. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think in the same way, the apartment is also like, it, there's nothing really explicit about it. You know, it's, I hope it's, it's calm, it's serene. It might make you feel at home or make you, make you feel like you're really uncomfortable in that space because it's not your, you don't recognize these things and it's not your home. It's not like any home you've ever been in. Like, I don't know, like it can bring up whatever it brings up in you. But the point is that it's, it's not explicit. It's not saying this is what this work is about. And you must perceive that from it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it's, mm -hmm. I don't believe that that is what, <laughs> that's not the kind of work I, that's not what I want to make as artwork, you know? Um, and yeah. And so I'm, I mean, and then that also, you know, that's why it is also exciting when people like Anna, you said, some things before that I wasn't, I hadn't thought of. And that's like the beauty of it is like, I also get to experience it in a different way be when I, because I got to like experience it a little bit through your perspective, which brings your own perspective. And so then it's, you know, it's open to that. It's not saying like, this is this work period. Jordan Nasser's The Field is Infinite is on display at KMAC Museum in Louisville until April 4th, 2021. So hopefully, even if you aren't feeling able to get out of the house much right now, who knows, maybe you might by April. And even if you can't venture out at all this year, KMAC put together a really great virtual guide for the show that you can find on their website or in the show notes. And if it wasn't abundantly clear in the episode itself, I would recommend checking it out somehow. I hope you enjoyed getting more voices together all at once to talk art stuff. I think that went pretty well, and hopefully we can keep trying to make that happen again in the future. 
Just as a recap on that note, I'm still trying to be introduced to as many people in different areas and cities in the South and Midwest as possible. So again, if you know of anybody who likes to talk about art in places like Lexington, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Columbus, St. Louis, Nashville, Asheville, Atlanta, Charlotte, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Chicago, or Cleveland, please introduce me. In the meantime, that's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Joey Yates, Jordan Nasser, and Anna Blake. If you have thoughts or ideas for this show or would like to get involved with Art of Gravity, send an email to info at ruckusjournal.org. If you'd like to see this and all of our projects grow, subscribe on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. I promise every little bit helps. Thanks. Until next time.